Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. I'm going to ask my good friend, Miko Seymour, to come as they pass those. Um, Miko and I have done ministry together since 2010. Uh, And so we worked at a church together in Atlanta, or the Atlanta area. That's what we call Douglasville, the Atlanta area. Uh, And then we worked at Evangel Temple here as well together. Um, Miko, I got to be his best man in his wedding. He is more of a brother than anything else. Uh, And so how many of you have those friendships that you've cultivated over time and you've gone through the fire together? Good times and bad times, up the hill and down the hill. He's an up the hill and down the hill brother to me. And so this morning, he's going to bring a word just on dreaming with Jesus. And if I can say one thing about him, is Miko is so faithful and consistent and steady, both with Jesus and with people. And you need voices in your life, and I've had that in him. And so this morning, I feel really pleased that he would come and just share the word because he's been that kind of steadfast friend to me. And I also just love his, his new baby. She's in the back somewhere, so if you don't. If you don't see her today, you have missed out, and her wife and his wife Simone. You guys, give it up for Miko as he comes and shares. Love you, man. Well, I am excited uh, to be here uh, with you guys again. This church uh, is really special to me and to my wife. We uh, invest a lot of time thinking about you guys and a lot of time praying uh, for the mission and vision that you guys have. Uh, like Grant said, my name is Miko, and I hail from uh, St. Petersburg, Florida. Hey, Josh. Sorry. That, that was a, that's a great surprise. Uh, so I hail from uh, St. Petersburg, Florida. If you don't know it, it's Tampa Bay. It's also called Champa Bay um, because we are full of championships uh, right now. Uh, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Rays are trying, but it just doesn't happen. Uh, for us. I think the Braves won, right? Is that right? Who cares? Um, uh, yeah, right now it's, it's really nice and uh, cloudy here. I think we're expecting some thunderstorms later on today in St. Petersburg, Florida. It is clear skies, sun, and fun, and beach, and all of those things. In fact, St. Petersburg holds the world record for the number of consecutive days of sunshine, which is 360 days. Yeah, look it up. It's real. It's real. If you are new here to Fountain City Church, a very special welcome to you. Uh, My hope today is that I leave a really great taste in your mouth uh, to come back. Uh, But I am not the the person that will be here every single Sunday. You just met him. His name is Grant. Uh, My my biggest prayer is that I don't screw this up um, because I definitely want you to be able to come back and uh, know Jesus in a deeper way. Would you do me a favor and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1? I'll meet you there in a few moments. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. If you see me take a pause, I'm sensing the Holy Spirit speaking this morning, and I sensed it during worship. I sensed it during those two incredible words that were spoken. I resonate uh, with them. I love the imagery of the, uh, of the rainbow and that purple. I just thought that was so well said, Ashley. Um, 
But again, if you hear, if you see me pause, it's because I am sensing the Holy Spirit wanting to speak directly to your hearts, and I'm trying to download what it is he's trying to say. And I want to make sure that I am incredibly specific when I speak on behalf of the Holy Spirit. Today is about life change. Today is about newness. So, Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes had misplaced his ticket while traveling on a train, and a train official uh, said, Your Honor, if you do not find your ticket, you can simply mail it to the railroad. We know you, and we trust you. Now, Holmes said in responding, uh, responding to uh, the, uh, the train conductor, he said, I am not so concerned about getting, your, uh, getting my ticket to you. Instead, I just want to know where I'm going. Now, this is the time of year when many of us will make those famous New Year's resolutions. And when we make our New Year's resolutions, we usually start out uh, firmly determined, right? We usually start out resolutely on this new course of action. This is the year that I'll lose 20 pounds. This is the year that I'll stop smoking. This is the year that I'll do better in school. This is the year that I'll be a better parent, a better grandparent, a better friend, a better classmate, etc., 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 etc. And we usually start out so well, right? We usually make it through January with our resolution still intact, but then February comes around and the newness of the resolution fades and the reality begins to sink in. This is so very difficult. It's so hard. And what I've resolved to do is so hard. I can't keep going. And it doesn't take long for us to discover or rediscover the simple truth, which is this, if you're taking notes. The words that are hardest to live by are the easiest to speak. The words that are hardest to live by are the easiest to speak. And we often make resolutions and we break them and we're all kind of nodding and kind of chuckling to ourselves because we resonate with that. Words are easy to speak and hard to live by. And really, most of our resolutions are misplaced anyway. They are only designed to make us slightly better. They're only designed to take what we already are and fine-tune it, remodel it just a little bit. I resolve to lose 20 pounds so that I can look a little slimmer. I resolve to stop smoking so I can be a little bit healthier. I resolve to control my temper so that I can be a little nicer and have a few additional friends. If we're going to act resolutely, if we're going to be firmly determined, if we are going to set a course of action, then we should do it for something that will make great and lasting changes. Why waste time and energy on slight improvements when we can invest in becoming brand new? God's not interested in throwing a coat of paint on us, right? He's not interested in doing a little remodeling. Paint fades. It chips. Remodels become outdated over time, and God is looking to do a whole new thing. We need to simply resolve to give him permission to tear down and rebuild. God is looking to work wonders in us and through us. And we need simply to resolve to put ourselves in his hands and let him do a great work. Are you with me, Fountain City? Thanks, Grant. (laughs) 
Now, looking up the word resolution in the dictionary, you'll find definitions like a state or quality of being resolute, a firm determination, a course of action determined or decided on, and resolving to do something. Now, if you're anything like me, like the rest of America over the years, uh, you have questioned what it means to have resolutions. You maybe even jumped on the bandwagon professing that making yearly resolutions is bad practice and often amount to lists of a few goals, and those goals are seldom achieved. And between you and me, I get it. Between 11.59 and the clock striking midnight, you feel that pull towards coming up with that new plan that surely will get you on a path towards life change. It's the out with the old and in with the new. And between you singing that tune that brings to life the fond memories of old and a rejoicing of the end of the second pandemic year, your list now has the remedy to make this new year the stuff of legend. It's the best year yet the one that certainly has the capacity to be better than the last or better than the rest. The sun sets and then rises just like it always has, and yet for some strange reason, this time, this renewal of a day is different, and you are assured of that. I get it. I've been there. In fact, deeply inside of us, we want to be great or at least greater than we have been, and thus our resolutions are, are born. Now, on the other side of our pessimistic view of resolutions is the lost art of setting goals. Uh, Pulitzer Prize winning uh, writer Catherine Ann Porter says, I am appalled at the aimlessness of most people's lives. 50% don't pay any attention to where they are going. 40% are undecided and will go in any direction. Only 10% know what they want, and even all of them don't go towards it. Goals give you something to focus on. They help you know where you're going. Emerson wrote, the world makes way for the man who knows where he is going. They help you determine priorities, directing you to see what is important. Goals create mile markers of progress, and each time you reach a goal, you can not only tell that you're merely progressing, but you can see how far you have traveled. Squaring resolutions and goals beyond simply following cultural norms or practices to create one or the other or neither puts us in a state of repeating complacency in our lives. I'll say it again because I think some of you didn't get it. I'll say it really slowly. Squaring resolutions and goals beyond simply following cultural norms or practices to create one or the other or neither puts us in a state of repeating being complacent in our lives. And today, it's interesting, my assignment is to talk to you about moving beyond those cultural norms and into a sacred place of co-laboring with Jesus moving into a modality where Jesus directs and we partner and what he gives us through his spirit is made manifest through the works of our hands. Sounds beautiful, right? That was the assignment. It's the dreaming and goal setting with Jesus you never knew you could do. Now, I'm supposed to give you a formula and I'm a kind of formula guy, but... In my maturing in Jesus, I've come to learn that formulas toward better living in Jesus come down to three things. Knowing him, contemplating his ways, and being willing to do what he says, or in other words, 
obey him. That's it. There's no secret sauce. It's simply know him, contemplate him, and obey him. And that brings us to our text today, which I hope you have joined me there in chapter, John chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse 35. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Imagine, imagine that you're in this story. Imagine you are there with John the Baptist and you picture him dressed in camel hair. He's rugged. He probably smells of sun and sweat and really old salt. And he's constantly, you'll get that, just keep reading about his life, constantly surrounded by a crowd, by his own followers, and with a very stern voice, he says, repent, repent, repent. You are a sinful people, repent. People are there and they're listening and they've come to hear him time and time again and somehow they feel there's something missing in their lives. Somehow they feel that they are busy with many things and exhausted and they're just sitting there and nothing is ever going to happen. They feel very hopeless. Their mothers and there are fathers, those who are successful and those who have failed a time or two or 12, all of them looking for this promised hope and in need of salvation. And John, the writer of this book, and Andrew, two of John the, uh, the Baptist disciples, are among this crowd. And one day, Jesus passes by. And John looks hard at him and says, that is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, John knew that his people were sinners and needed to repent, but he also knew that he could not take away the sins of those people, that taking away the sins uh, was not a human possibility. He said, repent, repent, repent. But when Jesus passes by, John looks hard at him and said to John and Andrew, look, that is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That is the servant of God. That is the one who has been sent to become the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, so that he can take away your sins. Just be there in this moment. Be there in this picture. Be there where John and Andrew are eager to start this new life, perhaps a new year with a new focus, a new beginning, a new heart, a new soul. And I have to think that Jesus, in his intentionality, did not stumble upon this crowd following John the Baptist. This was a purposed moment. He was passing by with an agenda. Because if you're taking notes, when God moves, he moves with purpose. When God moves, he moves with purpose. Now John and Andrew start following Jesus, and Jesus turns around and sees them following him and said, what do you want? That's just how I, like, interpret, right? It was probably like, what do you want, right? But what do you want? 
And what do they say? Do they respond with, Lord, we want to be your followers. Lord, we want to do your will. Lord, we want, to take, we want you to take our sins away. They don't. They don't say any of that. Instead, they're asking, where do you live? Somehow right there in this moment, in the beginning of the story, we hear a very important question. Where do you live? In other words, what is your place? What is your way? And how is it to be around you? And Jesus responds with, I think, one of the most incredible statements in Scripture. He says, come and see. He doesn't say, come, I will change you. He doesn't say, become my disciples, listen to me, do what I tell you, take up your cross. No. He says, come and see. Look around, get to know me. This is the invitation of God. This invitation comes by way of two questions and a response where we'll kind of plant ourselves today. What do you want? Where are you staying? And come and see. Let's look at each statement. What do you want? What are you looking for? Jesus was not seeking information, but something more profound. His question is the question that Jesus is asking all of us, that he has asked all of us at one point or another when we encounter him. And that sets up this journey of discovery, discovering the, uh, the mysteries of God. Our stories, I love this quote, our stories are all stories of searching. We search for a good self to be and for good work to do. We search to be human in a world that tempts us always to be less than human or looks to us to be more. We search to love and to be loved. And in a world where it is often hard to believe in much of anything, we search to believe in something holy and beautiful and life transcending that will give meaning and purpose to the lives that we live. We are already searching. And Jesus here in this moment is tapping into those deep heart groanings to find something more substantial than anything that we have tasted before. And ultimately, the question invites us all to get in touch with our deepest heart longings. And in those longings is the energy that compels us, whether we know it or not, to search for Jesus and to search for God. The second question that I want to focus in on is, where are you staying? Now, they weren't really asking, like, for an address. The two disciples replied with this further question, where are you staying? Their question about physical location masks a far deeper question. The word translated uh, stay has occurred before, where it was translated as rest. The disciples' question is seeking to know Jesus on an ongoing experience of life. And they're asking, where do you rest? Or let me put it in a Fountain City language. Where do you abide? Where do you relax, Jesus? Where do you make a home? 
It's the, no matter what your answer is, Rabbi, we are prepared to follow you to the ends of the earth in order to know you more. Wherever you are staying, wherever you are resting, tell us where that place is, for our heart is yearning to be with you there. Wherever you are, our hearts are yearning to be with you there. Can I ask you a question? When is the last time you asked that question? Jesus, where do you abide? Where are you staying? Because regardless of the answer, I want to be in that place. And what's his response? Come and see. Jesus' response to their question, come and see, expresses the invitation that Jesus makes to every single person, every single one of us, searching for more. Jesus is offering an invitation to come into the house of God. It is an invitation to enter into God's dwelling place. It is the story of the Lamb of God saying to us, come, come to my home, look around and do not be afraid. Jesus is playing host. Jesus is a host who wants us to be around him. Jesus is the good shepherd of the Old Testament who invites his people to his table where the cup is overflowing. And if you're familiar with scripture, you are actually already accustomed to this image of God inviting us to his home. Remember, the Lord is my house. The Lord is my hiding place. The Lord is my awning. The Lord is my refuge. The Lord is my tent. The Lord is my temple. The Lord is my dwelling place. The Lord is my home. The Lord is the place where I want to dwell all of the days of my life. You are already familiar with Jesus being home. And here John and Andrew went and they saw where he lived and they stayed with him the rest of the day and Jesus invited them and they came around him and they dwelled with him and they went willingly. They went willingly, eagerly to his place. In fact, in spending time with Jesus, they saw a man very different from John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist, who was yelling, repent, repent, repent. The time has come. And said, Jesus says, come and see. Now, Jesus isn't asking, who are you? He didn't say, why should I tell you? He didn't say, what are your qualifications? The fact is, Jesus already knew these men, right? Remember his intentionality. He's God. We forget that. He knows everything. He could have said, John, I know you. I know that you won't be faithful. Even after I invest in you for three solid years, hello leaders, even if I invest in you for three solid years, you will not stay up to pray with me and support me on the eve of history. You will run and hide when I am betrayed. He already knows. But he doesn't bring any of it up. Jesus, full of grace and full of truth, says, come. He invites them to be with him. And this is the invitation of God. It is the invitation God has been giving 
since he created man. It's the come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. It's the come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. It is the yes, come. It is the let the children come to me. Do not stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. God has been saying, come and see for a very long time. And he says it here. He says it here to John and Andrew. At, this invi- at his invitation, they end up, in fact, the Bible says, spending the entire day with him. They could have walked with Jesus a few miles and then said, all right, cool. This has been fun and like we've got to go to bed, right? Or I've got work in the morning or the game is on. Or this counts as a hub meeting, right? Or do I really need to go to Wednesday night prayer now? They didn't. They wanted to learn from the rabbi. They wanted to, 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 to know who he was and how he was and why he was. And they committed to spend whatever time they needed in order to learn from him, to go deep with him and allow him to go deep with them. And the resulting effect is Jesus' invitation was to come and see. And what they found was see and become. You'll catch that in a moment. The invitation was come and see, but what they found was identity. Both men are inscripted into Jesus' mighty 12. The first of the 12, in fact, and it causes a ripple effect. Andrew goes on to share with his brother Simon that he has met the Messiah, and Simon meets Jesus, and Jesus ends up calling him Peter, and uh, Peter, which is the rock on which the church would be built, and well, you know the rest of history, the whole world is turned upside down from a few men saying yes to the invitation to come and see. The mission, the vision, the tools are all picked up right there at Jesus' feet. And to be honest, it is the curse of our modern times in that we want life change. We want a brand new year. And we want it without the effort. We want the blessings without the discipline. We want what takes years of consistency in the snap of a finger. A kind of just add water sort of living. We want a cultivated garden in an afternoon. We want to master a new skill over a weekend. We want a killer body in a few weeks. We want to change a world with a tweet or an Instagram post or maybe even the dreaded Facebook status update. Get off Facebook. It's bad for your health. The CDC said it. Some people got it. Okay, cool. A new resolution here or there, we do it to help us feel better, to help us feel, feel like, okay, we're setting some goals for the new year. It's going to be a new life. It's going to be great. But this isn't the way. The method, the formula for co-laboring with Jesus, dreaming with him, 
is simply accepting the invitation. Do you understand that, Fountain City? The way is accepting Jesus' invitation to come and see. And it's so much more than just sitting and listening. It's actually the work. It's effort. It's discipline. It's consistency. It's showing up. Not once, not twice, but regularly. Whenever the doors are open, whenever the announcement is made to come and be a part of prayer or be a part of a hub or be a part of whatever it is that's going on at your church, it is the invitation of Jesus saying, come and see. It's not sexy. It's not sleek. It's actually work. It's actually grit. Unfurl my eyebrows. Just serious about it, you know? We can be Christians and want to set Jesus at the center of our resolutions, but we are not deeply formed by Jesus overnight. I love that we were in worship and we were just singing these really incredible lyrics. I don't know if you've ever just been in worship and you just like stopped singing and just listened to the lyrics or maybe just watch the, the lyrics on the screen and read them and contemplate on the lyrics. And it's just so easy to be in a space like this with an incredible singer. I don't know your name and I don't even know where you're at. Christina. Oh, yeah, girl. Let's... <laughs> Okay, let's record you. It's easy to be in a room like this and be in worship and feel all the feels. Yet, you've only made it to the door of Jesus. And just as you go to the door and you open it, you decide, well, it's 1230. I got to go eat. Check back with him next week. It's the Wednesday night prayer. It's the women's hub or the men's hub or the hub that you create because you want a hub where it's marrieds or young families or, hey, yeah, I actually will sign up to serve in kids' ministry twice a month. But we just get right there in worship. And we're like, <laughs> yeah, I was at his doors. Great. And then we move on. And we believe that it's just being at that door that I've done what I needed to do. And I'm good. And certainly every week me showing up just at the door, never really going in, pushing that door open. That is the stuff that forms. Now, if I'm being really honest with you pastorally, it's great to come to the door. It really is. But Jesus literally is saying, oh, hey there. Come on in. I've made a table, or I've got a table for you, and a seat where you can sit, and we can talk. And we can talk about whatever it is that you want to talk because he is slow and listening and just really wants to go through the process at your, own, at your pace. And it is at the table. It's where you sit and dine and eat, and right? I dine and eat is the same, but you get it. 
And you ask all the questions, and maybe you get the answers that you need at that time. Maybe not. But maybe you do in five minutes or tomorrow. And it's that repeating of sitting at his table and just being with him that forms you. It can't be done on just a Sunday morning. It's Wednesday, it's Monday, it's Tuesday. I don't know when the hubs meet, but you get it. It's jumping into fasting with your church, your church community. It's, oh, that's an invitation. Let me go and see. Free from me to you, meaning it's not in my notes. As a pastor, it's horribly, horribly exhausting to come up with things for your church to do. And the truth of the matter is, let me let you into the secret. We don't build events and hubs because we think it's cool. We do so because we feel that there's a mandate on our lives to create opportunities for you to grow in Jesus, period. And can I tell you an even deeper secret? I'll never be invited back after this. <laughs> Your pastor so desperately want you to go deeper in Jesus that every time they're opening the door, Every single time that they're inviting you to an event, a community in a hub, prayer, whatever, the, whatever it is, it's not because it's like the cool thing and all the churches are doing it. It's because they're restless at night, wanting you to find him and grow deeper in him. And thus, this community growing deeper together in him and the output of that, the fruit of that, is that Columbus is changed because of this community. You'll invite me back. Okay, great. I'm reminded of that great line by Augustine who says, God is more inward than my inmost self. We don't just kill our greed or lust or anger or selfishness in an afternoon or by resharing a Facebook post. We actually have to like pursue him and invite him in and sometimes even recognize that he's already in and he just wants that, that awareness of you, that awareness of his love, the love that he has for you. Now listen, we grow and we develop and we work out our salvation. We, with the Holy Spirit, we cultivate love, joy, peace, patience, etc. It is the walking uphill. It is ascending to a summit. There are no shortcuts. There is no other way but pressing in to the invitation. The transformative way of our spiritual formation is to meet Jesus. It is to see him and recognize him as he walks by. Look, there goes the Lamb of God. Then 
we ought to sit at his feet to understand why understand his way, understand how he moves in the world, how he wants us to neighbor each other, to be compassionate towards each other. And then we walk with him. And as Jesus moves, we move. When he moves us to prayer, we pray. When he moves us to read scripture, we read it. When he moves us to each other, we lean in and commune with one another. When he calls us out into the storm, we go. When he gets closer to the orphan and the widow and the harlot and the marginalized and the homeless, the forgotten, we move closer and offer the heart of Jesus. By this, we live full lives. What are your resolutions? When Jesus says to come and see, something very different is happening. We enter into a different way of following because it is a call away from me and towards God. It is that slow maturing to become everything you were meant to become in him, no matter where you are on the roller coaster of life. Henry Nouwen says, following Jesus is focusing on the one who calls and gradually trusting that we can let go of our familiar world and that something new will come. And that takes time. In my practicing of taking Jesus up on his invitation, I have become resolute in the things that I want out of life. Those things often become clearer the more time I spend with him. Those things become less calendar year centric and more mission purposed. They even become stranger and abstract, things I would never think to do or endeavor on my own. They move beyond that common phrase of resolution to a framework of modalities. These modes for me are a, a, simply a state of being. When you've spent time with Jesus, your only mode is mission. When you've spent time with Jesus, your only mode is mission. Your craving, your craving becomes him. You've spent, you've gone, you've opened the door and you've sat at his table and then it's like time for you to go. And just as you're going, you're like, ah, I mean, 30 more minutes maybe? And you go back and you sit. And then you get up and you start to go away again and you're, I mean, do we really need to end this? No, okay. And you go and sit. And you get up one more time and you, you maybe get a foot outside of the door and you're like, yeah, there's nothing better. <laughs> I want to be here. It's forming habits. When you spend time with him, it's forming habits like contemplative prayer. I'm sure you guys will get into that over these next couple of months. But contemplative prayer, where we practice looking at and gazing at and becoming aware of God 
It's forming habits like reading scripture and meditating on it, literally sucking the life out of every single word. It's practicing being in community with one another. In fact, I have found that God often illuminates his word and his direction to us through trusted individuals that we do life with. And I can go on and on and on about these formational habits, but the truth is there are a lot of them, and I do not have time to talk about most of them today. But the point is this. Take steps to live in the center of Jesus. How do you craft great goals and great resolutions? Take steps to live in the center of Jesus and his wisdom. The wisdom of Proverbs tell us, if you're taking notes, Proverbs uh, chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't place your faith in your own understanding. Acknowledge God in all that you do and he will smooth your pathway. Don't think you have to have it figured out. Or in... uh, Proverbs chapter 4, watch over your heart with all diligence, for what is in your heart will determine what your life amounts to. We're often building out our goals and our resolutions, and they're often void of God. And we're building those out where we've not spent any time with him, and the truth of the matter is this. We can do that. You can. But those are the resolutions, the goals that are only cosmetic fixes to the deeper work that must be done in our lives and through our lives. And we must be able to dream with Jesus, have his heart at the center of what we do and endeavor to do. And at the center of that wonderful language that I so carefully crafted for you today, dreaming with Jesus, caring for the heart is to love God, period. This must be the joyful aim of our life, to love him. And that's why Jesus stated that first commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The love of God and only the love of God secures the vision that we have for our lives. That Jesus dream. It's the love of God that keeps God constantly before our mind. Thomas Watson tells us that the first fruit of love is the musing love this language. The musing of the mind upon God. He who is in love, his thoughts are ever upon the object. He who loves God is ravished and transported with the contemplation of God. God is the treasure, and where the treasure is, there is the heart. King David gives us a secret of his life, he says. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. I don't know. I feel like I've missed the assignment. So I was supposed to give you a formula. But my prayer for you, Fountain City, is that in the year 2022, you will be deeply committed to answering the invitation of Jesus. 
that invitation to come and see and discover who you are in him and thus discover where you are going by what you are called to do, fully embodied. Fully embodied. Knowing that the dreams you have for your life, no matter what they are, are the dreams he has given you as you co-labor with the creator of the universe, with him, to see his kingdom come in Columbus, Georgia, or maybe just in your home. No formula, no 12-step process. It really is, Jesus, where are you staying? Oh, hey there, come and see. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? And I'm asking you to do that for one simple reason of just focusing on maybe yourself, focusing on, you know, what the Holy Spirit may be speaking to you. If you're new here, maybe even new to this language, it's just a time of contemplation on maybe a sentence, a word, or maybe there's a feeling that you have in your, 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 your heart right now that you don't. You don't know where it's coming from or an emotion. You don't know where it's welling up from. This is just a moment for us to sit and focus. And my practice here today in this moment is simply to say and pray, Jesus, you are welcome here. You are welcome in this building. You are welcome in these hearts. You are welcome in these emotions. You are welcome in the fears. You are welcome in the so awful place of regret and pain. You are welcome to touch these places in our, uh, in our minds, in our souls. And God, you're, you're welcome as we contemplate the future, as we contemplate even the man-made calendar year and what you may want to do. God, as we, as one community, as we accept the invitation to come and see, God, would you just illuminate places of mission and vision? God, we're not interested in the formulaic practices and the things that have been done in the past or at other places or in other cities, or we just think that they need to be done a certain way. God, we are interested in you creating something new. We're using the language um, from earlier, maybe something old that you said, but in a new time and through new individuals. God, as we accept the invitation to come and see, would you just whisper sweet nothings of love and vision and dreams? That even the quirkiest dream, the one that seems so far out there, is the one that we begin to meditate upon. And we ask the question, okay, Jesus, how? You light the path. And because you spoke it, you'll see it through. God, would you make this group of people, this community, those that are in this room right now or watching online or maybe listening over the next couple of weeks, would you make this community a people always 
on a path of knowing you more and in a deeper way. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.